The first half of this parak follows on from the topic of discussion which was begun in the previous parak, namely the Arba Shemrim, the four different types of guards who are responsible for looking after somebody else's item. And we saw that there are really three different levels of obligation, and that a borrower, a shoyel, is the most liable, even on the level of oynes, even if something out of his control happens to cause the item to be lost or destroyed. For example, if he's looking after, if he's borrowing an animal and the animal dies a natural death, even in that situation, the borrower would be responsible for replacing that animal. That having been said, the Torah gives a unique exemption even to a shoyel, which is not necessarily a logical exemption, but the Torah says that if the owner of the item is working for the borrower at the time that he borrows the item, not at the time that something happens to the item, but at the time that he borrows the item. In that case, there is a unique exemption that if something happens to the item later on, out of the shell's control, if it is indeed an oines, then in that case the show will be exempt. Of course, if something happens as, as a result of his pshia, certainly he'll be liable. But we're talking about a case where there's an oines at the end. If the borrower, as well as borrowing the item, was also borrowing or hiring the owner to work for him, and that was the case at the time that he borrowed the item, then this exemption applies, and this exemption is known as bailov imoy. The owner is with him. So says the Mishnah, Sheryl is a poor one who borrows a cow, and he borrowed the owner of the cow together with the cow at the same time. Meaning at the same time, the owner of the cow became his worker, and he was doing it as a favor. So it's considered to be that he's borrowing the owner of the cow. Or he hired the owner of the cow together with the cow, meaning he's paying the owner to do the work. Or Shalas Abaylim, he borrowed the owner. or he hired the owner. and after that, once the owner was already working for him, then he borrowed Shalas he borrowed the cow. and later on the cow died, an oinus happened which caused the loss of the animal. Potter, the shell is exempt for paying for the animal. Shalem, as the Pasuk says in Shalem, if the item's owner is with him, then he doesn't need to pay. And the way that we're understanding, the way that the mission understands this posuk of the owner being with him is not that the owner is with him at the time of the death, at the time of the oines, but the bailin, the owner, is with him at the time of the borrowing. That is when this unique exemption of bailov imoy applies. However, says the Mishnah, Avol Sholes but if you first borrowed the cow, the Achakach Sholes Sacharon, and then he borrowed the services of the owner, or he hired the owner to work for him, Vamesa, and later on the cow died, Chayev, he would be liable to pay for the oinus which happened, even if the owner is still working for him at the time of the oinus. Because it all depends on the owner being working for him at the time of the borrowing. Shalem, as the Pasuk says, but all of shalim shalem, if the item's owner is not with him, is not with the borrower at the time of the borrowing, then he will need to pay for an oinus which happened. Now the Mephoshim do try to offer certain logical explanations for this exemption, and the general exemption is sort of understood. That since the owner of the item is present, so your responsibility over things which happen out of your control is less. The point which is far less understood is why it should depend on the time of the borrowing, and not on the time of the accident. So the Mephoshim do have difficulty in understanding that part, and there are certain explanations which are given which we won't go into at this moment.
Mr. Base, the laws of the Shomim continue. One who borrows a cow in one of the following ways. And this actually involves a borrower. It involves borrowing and renting. So the first example is where there was one cow and he borrowed it for half of the day. And he paid for using it for the other half of the day. Or he borrowed it today. And he rented it the next day. And let's say it was fixed from the beginning that he's going to use it for two days, and he won't pay for the first day, and he will pay for the second day. Or if he bor- if he rented one cow, and he borrowed another cow of the owner, and then from Esau, the cow died. Or in the final case, one of the cows died. The lender claims, the owner of the cow, the cow's claims, that Shulam Esau... It's talking about the last case, where there are two cows, and he is claiming that the cow which was borrowed is the one which died. And therefore, you are obligated to pay me, because a borrower is liable even in a case where the animal dies, and it's not in his control to stop this. Or in the previous two cases, he claims that it died on the day that it was borrowed, or the animal died at the time of day, the half of the day that it was being borrowed and you weren't paying me for it. That's his claim, and the other one who was using the cow, he claims, I don't know, I came back one day, and I saw that the animal died, and I'm not sure if it died at the time that I was borrowing it, or at the time that I was paying for it, or I'm not sure which of the animals was the borrowed one, and which one was the rented one. So I don't know, says the Mishnah Chayev, he is liable to pay the owner for the animal. Now, in the simple way of understanding this scenario which the Mishnah presented, this would not actually be true. The general law is If somebody wants to take something from somebody else, he needs to prove that he is entitled to that thing. The fact that the person is saying, I don't know, is not good enough. You need to prove that you're entitled to it in order to take it. And therefore, the Gemara explains that we're talking about a specific case where in each of the three scenarios, there is an additional cow. And that additional cow was only borrowed, it was, let's say, borrowed for a day. And for that cow, he is certainly liable. So what happens? Let's say the owner's name is Ruvain, and the borrower or the renter's name is Shimon. So Ruvain comes to Shimon, and he claims, now that we added a cow, so we're talking about a case where two of the cows died. So he comes and says that you owe me two cows. And Shimon replies, I certainly owe you one cow. Because one of them was totally borrowed, and so for that cow, I am liable if it dies. And regarding the second cow, which was one of these three scenarios, it was borrowed for half of the day and rented out for half of the day, or whatever the cases were. Concerning that cow, I don't know when it died. And in this case, he'll be liable. Why? There's a rule of if somebody admits to part of somebody else's claim... Like in this case, where Shimon admitted to part of Ruvain's claim on two animals, he admitted to certainly owing one at least, he needs to swear about the rest of the claim that he doesn't owe it. And therefore, in this case, where he's not certain about the rest of the claim, he says, I don't know about the rest of the claim. Any case where somebody is obligated to swear that he doesn't owe something, if he doesn't swear, then he does owe it. He does need to pay it. And therefore, in this case, he would be liable to pay, because we're talking about a case of where he admits to part of the claim, and he is not sure about the rest of the claim. In that case, he would be liable to pay for that second animal as well. Alright, what about a sort of opposite scenario? The renter, the borrower, claims that 
he says that I know that it died at the time that it was be that, that the cow which was being rented is the one which died. Or it died on the day that it was being rented. At the time of day that it was being rented, that's when it died, and therefore I am exempt from paying. And the other one, the owner says, I don't know when it died. And this scenario would make a lot of sense. Yeah, he wasn't there. Whereas the renter was likely to be present at the time of the death. In that case, certainly Potter, certainly he would be exempt from paying. And this is even in a case where he perhaps was maybe he admitted to owing a different animal as well, but in he'll be exempt because the entire claim which the owner has is not a strong claim. And really here a different rule applies of Bori Vashem or Bori Odith. If somebody is making a certain claim and somebody else and the person claiming money is making a doubtful claim, perhaps you owe me an item because maybe it died when it was borrowed. So Bori Odif, the certain claim is preferable. And so we go with the certain claim of the borrower of the renter, but he claims that it certainly died at the time that it was being rented. Alright? If the owner claims that the borrowed one died and the borrower claims that it died when it was being rented, so in general we would repl- apply the rule of that if somebody is claiming something from somebody else, he can only get it if he can if he swears sorry if he proves that he is entitled to that item or to that money. And in this case, he's not proving, so he shouldn't be able to get the item at all. And that should be it. However, says the Mishnah, not like that. The Mishnah says, The renter needs to swear that it died at the time that it was being rented. And if he won't swear, then he'll need to pay. Despite the rule of And the reason for this is because of another important concept known as Gilgul Shavua. Gilgul Shavua means that if somebody is anyway liable to make an oath towards somebody else, then we can force them to make an oath about something else, even if there isn't sufficient reason to make him swear about that thing. So in this case, since he's anyway a shomer, he's a god, and the only way he's a renter, let's say, even according to what he's saying, he's a renter, and the only way that he can exempt himself is if he swears that what happened was not because of his pshia. It wasn't because he looked. He didn't look after it properly. So anyway, he needs to swear about that. And because he needs to swear about that, we can also force him to make a shavua, an oath, that it died at that time. And if he's not willing to make that oath, then he would need to pay for the animal. And final case, if both of them say that I don't know when it died, they should split, interestingly, they should split the animal, or the value of the animal. And it's important to note that this act, this opinion is not the regular opinion of who holds of Hamitzah This last part of the Mishnah goes particularly according to Sumchus. Sumchus's opinion throughout Shas is that if you have a case where there is a doubt in a monetary matter, we don't say that the person trying to take the money needs to prove it. Rather, we say that the money should be split. So it's particularly Sumchus who says that in this case it should be split. Alright, Mishnah Gimel, Ashur Sapor, one who borrows a cow, the Shilchalobiad Benoi, and he sends, the, the lender sends the cow to the borrower in the hands of his son, Biad Avdoi, in the hand of his servant, Biad Shluchai, in the hand of his messenger. He sends the cow with somebody to the borrower, 
or he sends it with the son or the servant or the messenger which the borrower sent to him. The borrower sent somebody for the lender to give it to him to send to the borrower. And from Esau, it died before it reached the borrower. Says the Mishnah Potter, the borrower is exempt from paying for the animal because he has not yet become a shoymer on that animal. You can't say that he's responsible to guard over the animal before it's got to him. And this is even in a case where the borrower, where the borrower's messenger, or the borrower's son, had the item at that part at that time. The shoyal has not yet become a person who's responsible to guard over the item, and therefore he would not be liable if something happens to the item at that time. However, if the borrower told the lender, Shalchali, send me the cow, in the hands of my son, my servant, or my messenger, or in the hands of your son, or of your servant, or of your messenger, or if the lender told the borrower, in advance, that Hareni Mashalcha Loch Biadbani, I am sending you the animal in the hands of my son, Biad Avzi, in the hands of my servant, Biad Shluchi, in the hands of my messenger, or in the hands of your son, or of your servant, or of your messenger. And the borrower sent back to him, Shalach. Yes, I agree, send, send it with them. And that's what he did. Vishilchai sent the animal with one of these people, Vomesa, and the animal died before reaching the borrower. In this case, Chayev, the borrower would be liable for paying for the animal because we consider it as having entered into the domain and responsibility of the Shoyel as soon as it reaches this messenger because that's understood to be part of the agreement. Alright, and everything we said in this Mishnah also applies similarly at the time that he returns the animal, we only consider it to have been returned to the owner once it reaches the owner's hands himself, or if that was the agreement and they agreed and they organized in advance that he would send it in the hands of a messenger. One of the ways to acquire an item, although in general, in order to acquire an item, one needs to do an action with that item itself, if two people are exchanging two different items, they can do an acquisition known as chalipin, which means that as soon as one of them acquires the item which he is buying, automatically the other person also acquires the item which he is buying, which he's swapping with this item. So a machlif parbachamar, somebody who is doing this method of chalipin with a cow and a donkey. And the current owner of the cow, who is swapping his cow for the donkey, he did an act, an act of acquiring with the donkey. And as soon as he did that, his cow now became the other person's. But it could be that the cow is not even in front of them. Because they don't need to do an act of acquisition on the cow, they're only doing it on the donkey. And meanwhile, the yolda, the cow, gave birth. But because the cow wasn't in front of them at the time that they did the chalipin, they don't know whether when, when exactly the cow gave birth, before the act of acquisition took place or afterwards. Difference being, uh, who owns the child of the cow? The chenamechesh of chosai, similarly the same applies to somebody who sells his non-Jewish female slave, and the way that one sells a non-Jewish slave is by receiving money for the slave. So again, it could be that the the woman, the slave, was not in front of them when he received the money. The old one, she gave birth, and again, it's not known. This one claims that the slave or the animal gave birth before I sold it, or before I sold her. The other one claims that after I bought the 
animal or the slave, that's when she gave birth and therefore the child belongs to me. So according to what we understand in general, the rule to be the one can only take something from somebody else if he can prove that he is entitled to it. We would apply the same rule over here. And the person who is known to be the owner until now, he's considered to be the default owner of the child of the animal or of the slave. And only if the buyer can prove that he had already bought it at the time that the animal gave birth or that the slave gave birth, only then can he take it. If he can't prove it, then the original owner will be the owner of the, of the child. And indeed, that is the halacha. But the Mishnah says that yachloiku. The Mishnah says that they should split the animal, because once again, this Mishnah goes according to the opinion of Sumchus, that a doubt which arises in a monetary matter is solved by splitting the money. Right, next case. And again, according to the simple reading of this Mishnah, it could be that the Mishnah doesn't make sense. And the Gemara explains that we're talking about a specific case where the law of the Mishnah will apply. If somebody has two slaves, one older slave and one younger slave, one is worth more, one is worth less. And the similar idea would apply if he has two fields. One larger, more expensive field and one smaller cheaper field which is worth less and the Gemara explains that we're talking about a case where somebody paid for one of these slaves or one of these fields but he didn't yet receive the slave or the field and for whatever reason the deal didn't work out and now he's claiming back his money so halokeach the buyer this means that the person who was supposed to buy it but it never worked out but he already gave the money and he's claiming back the money so he claims that Halakeach Omer, the so to speak buyer, claims, Godolokachti, I bought or I paid for the larger field or slave. And so you need to give me the value of the larger one back, the more expensive one. The Halakeach but the other one, the owner of the slaves or of the fields, he claims any idea. I don't know which out of the two we agreed that I would sell you, and by extension, I don't know how much money you gave me. If you gave me the value of the smaller one or of the larger one. So if you think about it, this is really a case of where he is admitting to part of the other person's claim. He admits that he definitely owes him at least the value of the smaller field. And he says, I don't know about the rest. And therefore, the person who gave him money and is claiming the money, he has rights to the value of the larger field or the more expensive slave because the other person has admitted to part of the claim and he is not able to swear about the rest because he says that I don't know about the rest of it. Now what happens if Hamoicher Omer, the person who was supposed to sell it and who received the money, he claims that cotton Mocharti... I was going to sell the smaller one, so you only gave me the money for the smaller one, Bahaloimer. But the other one says one who gave him the money, any other day I don't know. In this case, certainly any other cotton. He'll only receive the smaller amount because that's the only part of the claim which he's coming with a real claim. If you're claiming money, you have to come with a certain claim. So he's coming with a certain claim that you owe me at least the smaller amount, so that's what he's going to receive. All right, next case, Zermay God of Zermay Cotton. If the one who gave him money claims that he gave him money for the larger one, and the one who received the money claims that he only received the, sm- the money for the smaller field or the smaller slave. The seller, the person who needs to pay the money now, he should swear that they agreed that he would sell the smaller one, so he received money only for the smaller one. 
Because once again, this is a case of modem amictus. We admitted to part of the claim. The other person is, let's say, claiming from him 100 shekel, and he is admitting to 80 shekel, which is the value of the smaller field. So he needs to swear about the rest of it. And in this case, he can swear about the rest of it because he claims that he knows as a certain fact that he only owes him a smaller amount. So he should swear about that, and he won't need to pay any more than the smaller amount. And finally, Zomer... If they both say that I don't know which one, how much money I gave or received, then they should split it. And once again, this goes according to Sumchus, that a doubt in a monetary matter is resolved by splitting the money. However, according to the halacha, we hold that if somebody wants to take money from somebody else, then he needs to prove that he is entitled to it, and therefore he would only pay him the smaller amount.